Hey guys, it's Kira from KiraWilliamsFitness.com, and today I'm interviewing Emily Nicewanger from AnywhereNutrition.com, and we are going to be talking about quality versus quantity of food and nutrition. Um, anyhow, so hi, Emily. Thank you so much for being on. I'm so excited for this conversation. Thanks for having me. Do you want to just go ahead and tell us a little bit about you and how you got started as a functional dietitian? Absolutely. So I have been trained um, like any traditional dietitian would be four years of undergraduate and an internship as well. We do a a year internship after we graduate. Um, I also have a master's degree in nutritional science. My master's degree was a big focus on childhood obesity prevention. Uh, but, uh, but which, yeah, great experience with my master's degree. And I decided to pursue functional medicine after spending four to five years in a cardiac ICU. I used to work with, um, heart attack, cardiac arrest patients specifically. And I really just wanted to move into prevention instead of trying to put out a fire for a house that had already kind of had a lot of damage. And so I I really wanted to get into preventative medicine and integrative and functional medicine seemed like a great way to do that. So I did two years of additional training in integrative and functional nutrition and then moved into um, working in clinic for, uh, for another four years in functional medicine. And two years ago, I created Anywhere Nutrition as a tool basically to help people who want to learn how to eat healthier at home, get more real foods in their in their diet, learn what foods they really should be eating, how to eat sustainably. And um, I'm doing that now with my membership. So that's that's the piece that's anywhere nutrition. That's my that's my creation the last two years. So go to as soon as soon as this as you're done listening to our interview, go to anywherenutrition.com and check out Emily's website. She's got recipes on there and she really focuses on seasonal recipes, which I think is so cool. Um, so you guys have to go check that out for sure. Yay. Um, all right. So let's talk about, let's just dive into quantity versus quality. So when someone gets started with fat loss, it's really easy to just think I'm going to count calories and make sure that I'm expending more calories than I'm consuming. Um, that's quantity, but I really want to hone in on why quality ingredients and quality calories is just as important to people who have fat loss goals. So Emily, what are some of the major downfalls downfalls of solely focusing on calorie quantity as a fat loss strategy? Yeah, I love this question so much. So we do know that calories matter in the goal of weight loss. Yes, they do play a role. But when we focus solely on calories, we lose a lot of information about food that is, I think, so much more important than just calories. So again, you probably, your listeners have probably have heard this um, comparison before, but if you had a day where say you had an an omelet for breakfast with uh, even bacon in it and um, broccoli and mushrooms and onions and you know that equaled 500 calories and you had this other breakfast of maybe um, a 
a protein granola bar, you had some 100 calorie snacks and maybe uh, a low fat bagel with with uh, reduced fat peanut butter or something like that. If you had to compare both, so both of them come to 500 calories. But if you had to compare the nutrient density, so how many vitamins and minerals, micronutrients are found between both of those meals, the omelet with the, even with the bacon in there with the vegetables blows the other one out of the water. Especially if we were to list all of the ingredients that went into each of those breakfasts, you know that the omelet breakfast is gonna have very few ingredients, whereas we have a, we have a bagel, we have some low fat processed peanut butter, we have this random granola bar that even though it's low calorie is, you know, there's 15 ingredients on the list and just not a lot of nutrition. So when we focus just on calories, we lose a lot of nutrients. That's my biggest concern. And I also find that people don't learn a lot about food when they focus on just calories. So when the calorie counting stops, they almost feel just lost as to what should we be eating now? And when you focus on the nutrient piece, you know right where to pick up when you need to pivot. So you had a recent post on Instagram, um, which by the way, what's your Instagram? So I'm gonna link it in the show notes, um, yeah. but what, go ahead and give us um, a shout for your Instagram right now. Yeah, so it's just at Anywhere Nutrition. Very simple, Anywhere Nutrition. I, that's actually how I found Emily was, um, on her, on her Instagram and her Instagram is very, it's very lovely. It's a, it makes everything very, very approachable. Thank you. I appreciate like, that. Keep it simple. It may, yeah. It's, it's a very, it's just, it's a very basic, it, it's not even really basic stuff. It, it's more complex ideas, but explained in a way that it feels very basic. So Mm-hmm. I highly recommend following her, um, Emily on Instagram. So, um, anyway, so you had an, a post on there recently about foods being more than just calories. What are some of the great benefits that we get from food other than the, the energy that we consume from them via calories? Yeah. So food is the messaging system, you know, a message, it sends a message to the body when you consume a meal as to what happens next. So, Again, if we're comparing this uh, low-fat yogurt cup for breakfast with a high-sugar granola compared to an omelet, some com- there's completely different hormone messages that are going to be happening in the body. Uh, and also, again, the body's going to get different nutrient loads. So you think of your body as a almost like a construction site, and it needs all the right tools and supplies delivered every single day in order for it to repair and to build and to change and to grow. And if you, you know, get the wrong supplies delivered or the supplies are poor quality, how can you expect your body to continue to repair and build and grow in a way that's desirable or a way that's going to be high performing? So you're really giving your body, you know, what, the correct fuel when you focus more on focus more on nutrients than you do just focusing on low calorie foods. And um, really quickly, can you explain for the audience what micronutrients are? Just basic description. Yeah, uh, basically vitamins and minerals. So um, zinc, 
magnesium, those types of things. Macronutrients are your larger molecules, your protein, your fat, and your carbohydrates. So for those of you guys listening, I also have another podcast on here about macronutrients and I have a podcast on here about micronutrients too. So if you guys want to dive into what those things like really are, Mm -hmm. there's more podcasts in this on that I have for about those. Yeah. Great discussion. All right. So we're all hooked. We're all ready, you know, to start thinking about our food quality, not just the quantity. So when someone who is, they want to lose fat, they want to feel great and they want to be fit and healthy. Um, how can they switch over from the mindset of counting calories to taking quality into consideration now? So I would say if you're moving away from just focusing specifically on calories, then, you know, we're, I, I really try to educate people on the macronutrient piece, because again, if you hit your calorie goal by the end of the day, where's most of, where are most of the calories that you're consuming coming from? Are they mostly fat? Are they mostly protein? Are they mostly carbohydrate? There's not a perfect answer for that. It really just depends on you as an individual, what your goals are. What do you feel like you thrive on? Do you thrive on a higher protein diet or a lower protein diet? Are you someone who likes a higher carb diet or a lower carb diet? So that's why you can see people being successful with weight loss, being on a on a keto diet that's basically no carbs or you know, a completely different diet that's really high in carbohydrates. You really have to pick what, what you feel like you thrive on. I think that's really important. Um, so the percentage, you know, we can vary, but focusing on first protein, fat, and carbohydrates. And then, you know, kind of getting a good idea of what you do consume in a day. That's where I would use a journal maybe for a few days just to see like, what does an average day look like for you? And you find, if you find that your protein, for example, I find for women, protein is always low. This, this is for the women that I work with one-on-one in a clinical space. And so we'll focus on protein first. So how can we start looking for protein sources? And then what is the quality that we're looking for is what is what I would say. Does that make sense? Yeah. So um, let me see. Well, we're actually going to start talking. I want to talk more about food quality. What are some of the main things to consider? Um, you know, I don't want to ever say, you know, that certain foods are, are better than others because I don't think having a negative connotation with food is mentally healthy for us. Mm-hmm. But what are some things that you would prefer to see somebody focus more on? Yeah. So uh, quality is, yes, is so important. So I would say, Again, starting in one area, like you, I don't want people going to the grocery store and having to read the label of every single thing that they buy when they're starting. So if we're, if we're going to start focusing our energy on the protein piece, maybe a great place to start would be learning about eggs for breakfast. So how can you source good quality eggs? Yes, there is a huge difference between the eggs at the grocery store are based off of the diet and the environment that chicken was raised in. So this could be, you know, for a couple of weeks trying to source first, if you have the option of buying eggs locally where you live, whether it's directly from a farmer that delivers to your area, it's attending a farmer's market, it's shopping at more of a natural foods grocery store, or maybe your traditional grocery store actually carries 
a good quality egg. So it's trying to find something that's pasture raised um, and not even necessarily organic. I, that's not a high priority for me as far as, as eggs go, but it's at least they're, that they're out on pasture. So now you've taken your breakfast and made it more nutrient dense by switching out the type of eggs that you're consuming. And you've also possibly now sourced some of your breakfast locally. So it didn't have to travel miles, 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 hundreds of miles possibly to get to you. The nutrient quality is higher because it's not old. So it didn't take weeks to get to you. And then how many more weeks for you to finally buy it off the shelf? And then how many weeks after that for you to maybe use it at home? Uh, nu nutrients are lost the longer food sits. So that part's really important. And then you're also supporting your local economy, your local um, sustainable system, which is, to me, is everything. So go ahead. Um, so nutrients, if nutrients are lost over time, does that also apply to produce? Yes, absolutely, which is why all of my meal plans are written for seasonality. So right now, I mean, you won't find berries on my menus unless they're frozen. So we wouldn't, I would never send you to the grocery store right now to buy strawberries or raspberries because at least here in the Midwest, they're not in season. So right now, what we would be enjoying would be citrus. So you're in Florida, so I'm sure you're seeing a lot. You know, citrus probably tastes amazing right now. Um, so that's what I would have people going after is, you know, clementines, uh, traditional oranges, grapefruit, grapes themselves would be really good. Um, kiwi is another good one right now. So, yes, you lose I wish I had the statistic in my mind right now, but I think it's almost 50% of the vitamin C after just um, a couple of days after after a food that's rich in vitamin C is picked. So spinach, for example, when spinach is picked and processed, it starts already losing uh, percentages of the vitamin C content every single day that it's it takes to get to you. And then again, how soon do you use it when you get it home? Um, you're going to continue to lose more and then what but what about um like grains for example like farro you know mm. that has vitamins and minerals in it and but it generally kind of you know i mean it comes in a bag so you know does that lose nutrient density as well it, it so we're more concerned about the water soluble vitamins those are the ones that you lose really quickly so the vitamin c would be one of the water soluble ones think about the ones that um we say if you overconsume them, you basically pee them out. Those mm -hmm. fat soluble A, E, D, and K, those uh, those are not um, lost the same way. So something like in grains, it's more grains are higher in B vitamins, iron. Those things aren't really lost um, much over time. So something like a, a packaged grain, it's not really a concern. It's actually more of the processing that could be an issue. So how refined the grain is, is what, where you could lose a lot. So the more processed it is. So if your quinoa is then processed into, uh, a quinoa cereal or a quinoa granola bar, you're going to lose more nutrients that way because it has, it's gone through so many levels of processing versus using, the whole quinoa in soup or as a side to a dish or something. Okay, that's interesting. That's that's something I've I, I, 
never really thought that much about um, mm-hmm. and definitely didn't know. So I'm over here learning stuff too. <laughs> yeah, so not, not, a much, not that big of an issue for grains. All right. Um, so focusing on eating the food itself in its natural form and local in season is best. Absolutely. Do you have a farmer's market near you? What are the farmer's market options in your area? Is it hard to find one? Me specifically? Yeah, in your area in Florida. Um, we There's a list that, um, you know, for Tampa Bay that mm-hmm. has all of our, like, we're, there's a farmer's market in a different location throughout my general area where I live, there's a different one, at least one a weekend. And so there might not be one in the exact same place every, but it's like, it recurs like the second Saturday of the month. And then the, the third Saturday of the month, it's in a different location. So that's kind of how they, they operate around here. Although we do have a couple like urban farms Mm -hmm. that I could go to anytime that they grow. I mean, like less than a mile away from me and I live in downtown Tampa and there's an urban farm that I can go to anytime. So that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And imagine, you know, like I don't, we don't need to get into the conversation about food deserts, but mm-hmm. those exist and that makes it really tough too. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a very important topic. Yeah. In Minnesota, we have, we have farmer's markets year round. So, I mean, even though we, you know, it was negative 18 here, two days ago, uh, this farmer's market still happens every single day. So, um, yeah. So if, if you haven't researched it, if you think that there's nothing in your area, I would encourage you to, you know, Google your location and then Google farmer's market or natural grocer, and you'll probably be surprised. What to and, and that allows you to, like you said, you're support supporting local farmers too. And that's always helpful for the area. Such a big deal. Yes. Um, and it's great for the environment because you're not transporting yes, from all over the world. Absolutely the most sustainable way to possibly eat. When you think sustainability, you have to think, what did you, how far did this take to get to me? You know, how many miles did this have to travel? So, yeah. Um, well, let's talk about reading food labels. Um, <laughs> there's two parts to a food label. Um, there's the qual there's the quantity part where it's like, these are the calories and these are the calories from each macronutrient. Um, some of the vitamins and minerals are also disclosed on that part of the label too. But then there's also the part that has an ingredient list. Um, mm-hmm. what are the benefits that you see from reading both parts versus just the quantity of the ingredient list? Yes. Oh my goodness. I, I encourage people to look at food packaging as if there is nothing on the front of the label. I know this is something we were going to touch on either way, but you know, all natural or healthy, there are so many words that are on the front of packages that have no regulation. We, you know, you and I could, could come up with a food product that we put on shelves tomorrow and we could pretty much label it any way that we want. There's very few words that have to go through any sort of um, regulation. And, and that's, I don't, it, it makes, 
being a consumer in a grocery store, very difficult uh, because you're constantly being tricked. I get tricked all the time um, if I don't flip a product over. So pretty much ignore that there is anything even written on the front of the package and then flip the product over. From there, I would look at, you know, if you're again specifically focusing on, you know, based on my tracking that I did, I know that I need to get in um, more protein. So then I might go right to the protein amount of this food and see how much protein is in it and think, okay, this is a this is a pretty good source of protein. This would be half of what I would need for my meal that I'm looking for. So that would be great. So then I would wonder, okay, what is in the what's on the ingredient list? Like what is this product? made of. Um, so I'd go down to the ingredient list and start reading some of the of what's in it. So I love sharing with people how to compare like a traditional like Jimmy Dean breakfast sausage to something like a, there's another company called Applegate that does um, is just awesome for breakfast um, options if you're a meat eater. Um, and comparing the two labels. So you might look at the ingredient list and both of them have the same amount of protein per serving, cool. But what's in in that product then? What else are they adding to it to make it flavored the way that it is or have as much protein as it does? And you might notice in like a some of the Jimmy Dean ones, they might add soy protein in addition to uh, the pork or chicken that it's advertising it is. So I might say it's like chicken breakfast sausage, but they might also add soy as a filler in there and there might also be high fructose corn syrup and cane sugar um, there might also be some funky preservatives that are in there uh, food coloring oh my goodness the amount of things that have food color coloring in them is just really silly so i would look at that ingredient list and think like okay could we do better and then i would look at a comparable product maybe the, again the applegate's a great great option and even though it has the same amount of protein i'm looking at the ingredient list and i see uh, pork, I see cumin, I see cayenne, I see black pepper, I see salt and cinnamon or whatever, you know, whatever's in their spice blend. I'm like, wow, okay, that is a much, I don't like to use the word clean, but it is a cleaner ingredient list. It's simpler, it's more recognizable. And if a, obviously it's possible for a company to make it with simpler ingredients. So if it's the Cost-wise, if it makes sense for your budget to be able to go to the Applegate one, make that switch. Well, you you mentioned um, high fructose corn syrup stuff. Um, you know, mm -hmm. soy, all all of these different weird things that are in ingredient lists. Um, well, I want to talk about those for a for a minute. So, yeah. you know, if I, I'm definitely at a place and I, I know a lot of my listeners are at a place too where they feel, you know, pretty comfortable. Like they've gotten a lot of the the crap out of their diet. You know, they're not living off of crackers and chips anymore. <laughs> um, but you know, they are trying to make like um like a switch, whether it's, you know, for themselves or, you know, for their kids. Um, and they're really trying to go a little bit deeper and of getting rid of some of this garbage that we see. Yeah. Um what are some of the big culprits that you see um, in ingredient lists or uh, ingredient labels? Oh, that's such a good question. I would say the different, many different forms of sugar, very confusing. So even if something's labeled again on the front, big marketing word, no high fructose corn syrup, uh, you can flip the product over and you can see 
five different types of sugar added to the product just under different names, dextrose, fructose. It could say fruit juice, you know, and you think fruit juice sounds great, uh, but that itself could have sugar in it. So um, they're just manipulating so many different ways to be able to add specifically sugar to our products that just don't need it. The food coloring one, again, it's I'm always surprised by where I find it. It's in a lot of protein powders too. Um, even protein powders that, you know, maybe it's a vanilla and the powder is white. They still add food coloring um, to the product. I, 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 I just don't understand why they would do it. Um, so we're obviously trying to avoid things like that. Um, soy, I'd say the most important thing, I'm not against all soy products. I think the the concern around it, uh, you know, we avoided it for a while there for cancer fears, and now the research really goes the other way that if it's organic, um, and even if you can go a step further and be fermented like tempeh, it, it has protective benefits for cancer. Uh, I just personally don't like the taste of it, so I haven't really um, cooked much with it. I'd, and my meal plans are all soy-free for people who are avoiding it for allergies. Uh, but again, if it's, if soy is in a product and it's not organic, I would put it back because it's genetically modified in the United States so that it can be st um, sprayed with glyphosate and for the product not to, for the bean not to die, but for the weeds to die around it. So I think that's a big concern. Oh, other big, big no's on ingredient lists. That's such a good question. I'm trying to think of what else, what else I would look for other than those big obvious ones. Um, seed oils can be a really big issue. So if you're buying something like a peanut butter, that it doesn't have sunflower, safflower, palm oils, if you can avoid it. I honestly wouldn't even really buy anything with like coconut oil in it because you're Peanut butter just doesn't need oil added to it. The only reason they add oil to peanut butter is so that you don't have to stir it because the oils basically keep it in a static state instead of allowing the peanuts natural oils to come to the surface so that you have to you have to stir it. So I would say keep it simple and plain. Those things like peanut butter, I can't even begin to tell you how many jars I had to flip over at my grocery store last week just to find one that didn't have sugar or oil added to it so um what about like canola oil yeah like that's in yeah. so much yes absolutely and again like so for example like potato chips I love potato chips and I'm not there's very few out there that are using um, good quality oils there was one pre-pandemic that was using um, olive or coconut olive oil or coconut oil and I don't know if it's a part of manufacturing issues with the last two years but it, the product has basically disappeared so I think you really have to think about how often you're exposed to them so, you know the big issue is their gas on the fire basically so think of inflammation as being this big bonfire and or a bonfire and we don't want to pour a bunch of gasoline on it and cause a bunch of health issues so if your exposure is really small, very, you know, it's just not often that it's happening. I don't think it's that big of a deal, but it's, it's eating out regularly at restaurants. It's eating processed packaged meals. It's, it's where a lot, if you have a lot of meals with those processed oils in them, then it becomes a really big issue. 
But for the average person that's very conscious about sunflower, safflower, canola, vegetable oils, you don't cook with them in your house. I do think these little one-off exposures, it's just not that big of a deal. Yeah, like, I mean, I go out to eat about once a week. And during that time, I'm not really worried if my, what I'm eating was cooked in canola oil. I would never cook it in canola oil at home. Yes. And I don't buy things that have canola oil in them. But when I am out for my one meal a week, if it's cooked in canola oil, I'm, I know I'm going to be okay. Yes, exactly. It's the, it's the eating out every single day that it's going to be a definite issue. And that's why when people, you know, so Panera is big. Uh, Panera had a huge uh, marketing thing a couple of years ago about, you know, their chicken being all natural and, you know, really playing on the whole all natural word, basically. Um, so say, for example, you think, okay, well, Panera is a quote unquote healthy restaurant to go out to eat at. But they won't use the oils you would use at home. They won't use the same quality chicken that you would use at home if you were being really like conscious. And again, if if it's once a week, it's not a big deal. But if you are someone who's on the road all the time and you eat out at Panera every day with this belief that this is a very healthy lunch, it probably isn't as good as what you would think it is. And finding another opportunity to find local brands. We Mm -hmm. are so fortunate in Tampa. We've got this one particular brand and they uh, of restaurants and they are extremely health conscious and they, they specialize really in bowls and they, you know, like if they say something is gluten-free, like it will be certified gluten-free, for example, um, they use like organic chicken. It is more expensive, mm-hmm. but you know, if you, if you want that, if that's really vital to you because you do eat out a lot, mm-hmm. you know, it might be worth it to spend the extra money Absolutely. To, Absolutely. to source something that's, you know, that's a local and B, you know, going to be, they, they, they take it to another level that I feel like a lot of places don't. Exactly. And the thing that would be missing from that information, you know, at these restaurants is, you you know, Panera for a while there, I don't know if they still do it, but they had calories on their menus. So you might think, oh, great, this is a 500 calorie lunch. That's my goal is 500 calories. But where are those calories coming from? Are they coming from, again, canola oil? Is the meat heavily processed and, you know, cheap, um, therefore inflammatory? Um There's just so many pieces missing from that information that you don't know when you just focus on calories. So let's rewind just a moment and go back to that label where it's like the quantity part of the label versus the quality part of the label. If somebody were just starting out, what part of that label would you really push them or emphasize them to look at first? So it's, it's going to depend a little bit on goals. It's always personalized, but I would say they're one of two ways that I usually tend to go. One, if it's with an individual who blood sugars are an obvious issue, women who are uh, peri or postmenopausal, especially who are gaining weight in their midsection, that's a sign of insulin resistance and carbohydrates would be really important to focus on for these people. So 
one, how much added sugar are they consuming a day? So I would go under carbohydrates and under carbohydrates, you see sugar and then you see added sugar. And I would focus there specifically. It's every product you buy, let's flip it over. How much sugar is added to this salad dressing that looks healthy? How much is added to this granola that looks healthy and this even soups that look healthy? Uh, yogurt. Is, oh my goodness. There's so much added sugar in tr traditional yogurt. So flip these products over and find out how much added sugar is in there. And let's really pay attention to that. That's going to make a huge difference for insulin resistance and also just make people, make women especially feel more confident in their bodies because that, you know, belly fat is a, is a really big deal for that, um, that niche of women. So Focusing on that that specifically for that group of people, if it's insulin resistance, that's where I would go. If I'm working with the general population, especially people who have a lot of cravings, sugar cravings, or energy slumps in the afternoon, I'm focusing mostly on protein. Again, like I said earlier, I, I see it so often that women are really not consuming enough protein at all, despite what what you see on Instagram or social media or the news, even the need to go like this whole meatless Monday movement. Uh, women are not the ones that are over consuming meat in this or protein, I should say, in this country. So I focus on protein a lot for those people. So um, so then I would jump straight down to the total protein number. And then I would look at the ingredient list to make sure what's the quality of this, where this protein is coming from. So I hope that kind of helps me specifically one way or the other. I would say then if, if there's an individual who's, you know, they're very carbohydrate conscious, they are hitting their protein goals, but they are just not satisfied, like their meals are not keeping them full long enough, then they're probably not consuming enough fat. And then that's when I would really focus on, you know, getting the fat content of those meals up. And I would focus on that part of the label. I think that's really, really solid advice. Yeah, I think it simplifies it because you, especially when you're starting out, it's really difficult to look at all three. And what you'll find with most foods is that they basically create a, their protein, fat, and carbohydrates create a pie chart. So it's going to be protein, fat, and carbohydrates that are going to make up this wheel in some sort of a percentage. So you'll find that, for example, like an egg, an egg is mostly protein, but an egg also has fat, but very little, if not basically no carbohydrates. So if you thought of that as a pie chart, it would be maybe 80% protein, 10 to 15% or the total remaining being um, of fat, and then uh, you know a, a very little percentage of carbohydrates. So you can kind of start to categorize food into whether it's a protein or fat or a carb, the more you learn about them. And then you just get to choose the amount. So let's go back and talk a little bit more about produce. Um, what's your take on choosing organic versus non-organic produce? So I would say even before organic versus not organic, I'm thinking what's in season, Am I buying what's in season? Am I buying what's local if it's available? And then I'm going into organic versus conventional if I have the option. Only because 
if the only organic options at my grocery store are like, again, strawberries and blueberries right now for fruit, and I just try to focus on buying those because they're my only organic options, again, they're going to be so expensive because they're not in season. They're not going to taste very good because they're coming from far away. And they also won't have as many nutrients because they also are coming from far away. So before I would even focus on the organic piece, I would focus on what's in season. Then choosing between organic and conventional, I think it's really a personal choice. I don't push people one way or the other. I have personally read, um, many people are, when you're thinking about conventional versus organic produce, are very familiar with the Dirty Dozen list put out by the Environmental Working Group. And that, have you heard of that before? I have, and I have another question about that, but go ahead and uh, continue. So I, I have personally read the data. So it comes from the USDA's database. So the Environmental Working Group said, hey, let's make this simple for people. Like, let's go grab the data from the USDA and make this into a simple handout for people to guide them in the grocery store. What should they spend more money on and what should they not bother with? And, you know, people who don't believe in organic have just totally just torn down the environmental working group for doing this. But I do think it's a really helpful tool. And I've specifically looked at the USDA database and there's really great information there that the environmental working group has pulled out. So again, if it's between, if so strawberries are in season and strawberries do tend to be high on the dirty dozen list, but if it's, you know, $8 for a pint of strawberries versus $4 and you're not going to buy the $8 ones, then go for the $4 ones, you know, wash them. It's better that you eat fruit than you don't eat fruit. Um, but if organic's not that far off, then I would spend the extra money on it personally. And that's, that's my personal choice. I budget for that. You know, my food budget is something that's, is really important to me because I'm just, I'm not going to live very long if I don't buy quality foods. So that's something that we have prioritized in our house. Um, so that's, that's where I would go between organic and conventional. My other my other question was, um, I I saw something recently about the Dirty Dozen changes. Is that true? Does it change like year to year? It does absolutely. So the USDA does it every single year, and so what they're doing is they're testing for pesticide residue. So they take these samples of cauliflower, and how many parts per million does cauliflower have of pesticide residue? And and then they look at you know strawberries and spinach, and changes year to year. It's my understanding of it from what I'm not reading a ton about, you know, why it would change a lot from year to year, but it mostly because of probably climate. Um, you know, was there a new pest that year that was really bad? So they used more pesticides that year. Was there a year where it wasn't so bad? They didn't use as many. Was there more rain and more, yeah, more rain that season or more drought? Um, so I think it's going to depend also on um, the growing conditions and also maybe farmers changing their practices. And then let's talk about like some of the claims and certifications that are given to food labels. Um, like the ones that you see on the front of the box that yeah. you, you said, don't, don't pay attention to the front of the box, but the front of the <laughs> box, like they, there's basically it's marketing. Um, yeah. Like what are some of the ones that, are like claims and certifications that you think are kind of like BS and what are some of the ones that you think are actually worth looking at? 
or accepting of something that's important. Yeah. So, um, Organic is regulated in the United States, so USDA organic seal. So that cannot go on a product unless the USDA has, you know, approved it. So that one is a legitimate seal, but non-GMO is isn't really regulated because you could see non-GMO on a product that, you know, like on water, you know, water's not genetically modified, but they might just throw it on the label because as a consumer looking at it and they see all these label certifications of um, fair exchange and, you know, um, spring water and non-GMO that you might just not even really think about like, wait a minute, water's not gen genetically modified, but you just don't even really think about, it. you see all these labels, and it makes the product stand out from the thing next to it that's probably no different. So, uh, so you really pay attention to which ones seem to be swaying you, I think is important. So organic is legitimate. Um, the pasture-raised, cage-free, uh, those are real labels that are regulated. Um, other ones that I would look for... Um, meat meat is all over the place so you might find something that says like like chicken for example that there are no hormones or antibiotics uh, well it's it's illegal in the first place for them to ever be used so when they use that as a marketing leverage tool that there's there's no difference between that one and the one next to it because they would never be able to legally be used so you might be thinking like, Emily, how in the world am I supposed to keep all of this straight? How do I know which ones are real and which ones are not? And when it comes to meat specifically, let's say try to source it locally. If you can, again, buy from a farmer in your area, um, you might be surprised how many farmers drive into your city area to distribute their products because there's a market there or it might be at your farmer's market or it might be at your local grocery store and then you can do a little bit of research yes it will require a little bit of research to find out how they raise their animals but then you never have to do it again like you have found your farmer to work with or your you know the, the farmer that works or delivers to your grocery store and you never have to look at it again which is really do you have any like website resources or anything like that that you can think of that kind of goes in like in deep for people who really want to know about all these labels? The USDA, yeah, that this the USDA food label, like Google USDA food labels, uh, food labeling re like regulations, and you'll find all of it there. Um, there's also, I don't know if you're familiar with this website, it's called foodprint.org. Mm -mm. Certified naturally grown, like a bunch of them. Yes. <clears throat> and it that goes sounds... into like what each of those means. Yeah, that's great. That sounds wonderful. And I think the thing to not get caught up in is because, especially if it's coming from a smaller farm, so say it's a, it's a, a pastured pork that's coming from a small farm just because they're not going through the really expensive hoops of labeling their pork as, as USDA organic. They might say we follow all the USDA guidelines to qualify as organic, but we just don't pay the extra label for it. We can't afford to, you know, we're one small farm. So when you ask the farmer, you might be able to find out that they're actually already using, you know, following all of those practices. And then you might also have 
uh, two farmers that are raising their animals the same way. And one of them just goes above and beyond to apply for a certain certification that the other one would also qualify for, like you kind of some of the things you just named off. Um, but they just they haven't done it to get that put on on their label. So I think what's the most important because it's so complicated, there's so many things to to see on a food label to ask, but it's just to keep it really simple is what I would say to people. Like don't pick one thing to learn more about, again, like the eggs, like start with, am I buying good quality eggs? And, you know, even spend a couple weeks to a month trying to find your good quality eggs that you trust the source. And then the next month is when you can try to dive into finding your good quality beef. And so you don't get overwhelmed with trying to do all of it at one time, if that, if that helps. Yeah, because it really is super overwhelming. <laughs> It has taken me years to get to where I am, and I'm in a farming state. So I guess what I try to do as much as possible with my Instagram and with my meal plan members is be a shortcut because I've done a lot of the research. So then they can come to me of like, what's a good butter? And then I can give them lots of options for, I've already done the research. These would be good brands to go with. And, you know, same thing with, you know, bacon and whatever else it is. Um, that's one resource that I'm able to provide for my members to, you know, help simplify things for them because the research does take a lot of time. And not everybody has that time or the patience to try and do it. So having somebody in their corner like you is yeah. so incredibly helpful. Yeah. Or just to know what's, what you're looking for and to what to look to what to just intentionally gloss over because you know it's just marketing words. You know, it doesn't really it sounds great, but it might not mean anything. So for our final question, um, let's I would love for you to describe the perfect scenario where the two worlds of quantity and quality work together in perfect harmony to help somebody lose fat or you know improve their level of health and fitness. So if I had to combine the two in a perfect world, I would say, you know, it's a state where you don't have to be counting calories and you really can listen to what your body is saying to you of what it, what feels good and what does not feel good. And when you can recognize that, you know, if, you know, if you've been eating out more recently or haven't been cooking as much at home and you can kind of feel off track. And you can tune right back into your body and you just know, like, I know what makes my body feel good and I'm going to jump right back into that. And that balance, that might be getting back to a higher protein breakfast. I might be making smoothies in the morning. Uh, I might be using more crock pot meals to make eating at home simpler. Uh, it's It's really paying attention to what makes you feel good, I think is so important. Don't get caught up in what your best friend is doing, what your neighbor is doing, what the TV is telling you to do. Listen to your body and focus on balance is the most important. And yeah, when you feel out of balance, try to pause and think, what what's out of place here? Why do I feel this way? Why am I so tired lately and again is it is where's my nutrition off where's my room for optimizing it and don't be afraid to ask for for help um the affordable care act that went into place in what 2015 um through 
out into a lot of people's insurance plans, preventative nutrition visits. So for like, I'm, I'm not seeing a dietitian, but I know what my plan would cover and it's unlimited preventative nutrition visits. So you don't have to navigate this world on your own. You know, you can seek out a dietitian, you can tell them your health history, you can get things personalized, go try some things out on your own, go back and check in with them and troubleshoot. It's, I think it's so important to build a wellness team around you that keeps you accountable and also is just someone that you can check in with when you feel off track. So don't, don't forget to utilize that resource. And following Emily on Instagram is free. Yes, it is free. So follow her uh, at Anywhere Nutrition, and she's going to give you tons of helpful tips. Like I said, it's like, it's, it seems so basic. It might be a little bit more complex, but she breaks it down and makes it all feel very, very approachable. So follow her. Thank you. Yeah, let's keep nutrition simple. That's what is sustainable for you and for the environment. Yes. So Emily, we really, really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for being on. Is there anything else that you feel like you need to add to this that you we didn't talk about? I would just say patience is really important because you know, we want to figure it all out right now. We want to be doing the best that we can be doing right now. But I think it's really important to just do things in little bite-sized pieces because that's what's, again, going to be the most sustainable. It's going to be so rewarding when you think back to all the things that you learned over the last year because you took these little bite-sized pieces instead of starting and then just quitting when you didn't accomplish it all right away. So just take it slow. It's okay to go slow to learn things um, a little bit at a time. Great. Well, we really do appreciate your time. And for everybody listening, anywherenutrition.com is the place to go to find Emily. And um, also her Instagram at anywherenutrition.com too. Wonderful. All right. And if you guys have any questions at all, feel free to reach out to either one of us. And we are more than happy to help you and get you started on trying to figure out food labels and navigating your way from quantity to quality. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you.